Hey everyone, it's Peg Mulqui with your latest episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast. But before we begin, I'm excited to share a little experiment we're trying. Many of you have asked how you can help support the show beyond your iTunes ratings and reviews, which have been amazing and we love them. But right about now is the time most podcasts seek advertisers as a way to keep the show going. But we really don't want to run ads. And so in our efforts to keep this podcast ad-free and do some fun new stuff, we're inviting everyone who would like to chip in and help to support the show over at patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. So for the price of a cup of tea a month, you can help us make more shows, cover some of our overhead, and invest in new equipment. Plus, there'll be some fun new surprises in it for you. There are varying levels of sponsorship, and each will come with something unique as a special thank you. You know, from free issues of the magazine, including the upcoming third one, to a special Patreon-only podcast with some behind-the-scenes stuff and opportunities to hang out with me and our guests. We are really committed to keeping this podcast ad-free, but also need to make sure it remains sustainable and gets better with time. So if you're inclined, please check out patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch and support the show. Now, let's get on with today's episode, number 20. Can you believe that? Needless to say, this one's pretty special, but not just because of the number, but more so because of who I'm welcoming back to the podcast, David Kyle. David was here in Montana, where we led a five-day retreat together, which was a huge honor and treat for me. I mean, David's been my teacher, my mentor, and my friend for a very long time. And maybe it's because we have these levels of relationship that this episode turned into less of an interview and more of like a real conversation between the two of us, exactly the way we talk when no one's recording. So get ready to be a fly on the wall as David and I cover the gamut of topics, including how we both have changed in the ways we practice and how we look at practice. David teases and calls himself lazy and me hippy-dippy. But that laziness is actually efficiency in him. And my nutty, crunchy granola approach these days is inviting more ease. In other words, we're both growing and we're both changing. Anyway, neither of us hold back. So grab a cup of tea and hang out with us for the next hour. And while most of it's pretty light and even kind of hilarious at times, we did get pretty serious towards the end. We ended up on the subject of yoga and injuries and the significant inquiries David is posing through his new research project. I'm not gonna say much more because I want you to listen. In fact, let's start now. Here's David Kyle. I'm ready. (laughs) It was a good week. It was a good week. I mean, it was a really good week. <laughs> okay, it was a really good week. See, that's the drama I'm kind of looking for. <laughs> it's a really good week. What was your favorite part? Uh, does Yellowstone count? Totally. Yeah, Yellowstone was awesome. I mean, I know you want to talk about the yoga stuff. But. No, I know. I actually, no, I kind of, the Yellowstone thing was cool, right? Yellowstone is amazing. I mean, it was beautiful. It's my first time, and it was like, 
I mean, obviously you dragged me through it all, but pretty quickly, but I'm, I'm that kind of tourist anyway. So. Well, you got out of the car. You're pretty adventurous. Why wouldn't I get out? People just drive through and don't get out of the car. Yeah. I mean, so when we say we did a drive through, I think we need to clarify that we only <laughs> had a day and we only did, we didn't even have a full day and yeah. we did the drive, my scenic drive through. But we got out plenty, and yeah. we saw a lot. Oh, yeah. And we did a lot. Absolutely. And it was awesome. I feel like moving out here changed my perspective on a lot of things. That drive through Yellowstone, being outside like that, and experiencing nature in that way, it's, that's yoga to me. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, expansive views like that certainly give a sense of sort of, well, expansiveness. Yeah, like how small other <laughs> things can be. Right. You get out there and all of a sudden all that matters is this amazing, beautiful view in front of us. Like there's nothing else that matters. Time stands still. Yeah, it's super attractive. Meaning it, you know. It's hard to not get absorbed in it just because it's so beautiful. And you're such a small part of it. And, and dramatic. And, and dramatic. Yeah, and, no, it's the and scale. You're not separate the scale either. is like ridiculous. Yeah, no, you're not separate. You're not separate. You're out there and I really do feel that oneness when I'm outside like that. I didn't get that same kind of feeling before... I moved into a place that made it almost easy, right? Right. I mean, I mean, you can even, even like, I can imagine the, the Tibetans up in the Himalayas and just having this never-ending, expansive kind of view must just open the mind up as well. It's kind of like one reflecting the other or something. So, yeah. Part of it makes me kind of sad because I think I should have been looking for that. I know I shouldn't say should, but I should have been looking for that before it became so easy to find it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm lazy. There's no no enlightenment here. I mean, I can walk outside my door and now it's there and I don't have to look for it and I don't have to find it. And it's right, right at my fingertips. Take advantage of it. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's why I am, and that's why, of course, that I invite you out here to do this with me and to bring people out so that they can experience it, so that they don't have to move, or, you know, maybe they do, yeah. but that you get that experience so that maybe you can go home and find it wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly environment affects us. Um, I don't know how long the impact lasts for, but I mean, if you get a little taste of it and you can bring it home, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, it was, it's surprising. It's in a way surprising to me how just beautiful it is out here. Yesterday's hike. I mean, I was exhausted. Okay. To clarify, we had five full days, Mysore, some workshops, hiking, talks, 
Yellowstone. Yellowstone, you know, morning, night. I mean, we were going, going, going. So understandably by Friday, I was tired. I was tired too. Yeah. So. A lot. Yeah, I was a lot tired. And we got out there to Spanish Creek. And I hadn't, and I told you, I was like, I think we need to make this short. Like, you know, I was expecting it to be short. Yes. It's true. But then as we started to walk with everyone and just started to go down the path and I don't know, we, and there was no, there was no destination. I mean, I hate to say like cliche, there was no destination. Right. We were just going for a walk. I'd never been down that path. Oh. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I had no idea what was down there. I had no idea what was down there. We were just like kind of walking. And as we started, I just got more energy. It started to become in energizing instead of exhausting. Yeah, I was feeling tired for a while. And then I think when we hit, it's like these little goals like, oh, there's a fork up here. Okay, so let's walk to the fork and then see what happens. And then from the fork, it's like, well, we could either go to the falls or not go to the falls. And it's like, well, the description was almost immediately. So it's like, okay, well, let's just go to the falls then. We're already this far out. And it's interesting because, you know, the expectation was it was going to be short. And then you find yourself fighting that. Or I did. I did. Find myself, find myself uh, fighting that and then just letting go and how these, these little things that kind of just rope us in and tie us in. It's, and it's not that different in practice. Like, uh, you know, I was on those just days say that. when you're practicing, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do anything. Well, okay, well, let me just do sun salutations and see what happens. You do sun salutations, like, well, I can certainly do the first six fundamental postures, you know, and then you yeah. do those. And then the next thing you know, you're to the waterfall. You know? Well, I realized that I used to practice yoga the way I lived in the D.C. area. I had somewhere to go. Right? No, seriously. You kind of, you, you see where you need to go. You get there the quickest way you can get there. Right. It's not, oh, I wouldn't say it's not a lot of fun because there is some fun entail to it. There's the places, but it, the space in between of where I was, go, where I was and where I was going that was kind of just like a, I just got to get through. I just got to get there. So it was like more about where it was going. And my yoga practice became kind of singularly focused in that way. It was just right. like, okay. You're going somewhere. I got to do something. That's what I got to do. I got to do it. And yes, you have some fun along the way, but it was more like I got to get it done. Right. It, it had more of that feel to it. It has a much more meandering feel to it now. <laughs> <laughs> like that trail. Kind of like that trail. Yeah. You get to the fork. I, I don't really know what's coming. I don't, I'm a, I, yeah, I practice a little bit more like I hike now. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, I don't know which one comes first. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe they're, they're just reflecting each other. It's a lot more enjoyable Because now. you could easily do a hike with a destination in mind. You know, that waterfall could have been like, we're going to that waterfall no matter what. But that's not how it was. And I guess there's a time for that, right? I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's part of a process. I mean, and that's the part. I think that's actually what we drove home the most during the week was, you know, what is the process that's happening here? What is, what is, what's, what are we doing? And why are we doing it? And, you know, it's... I mean, it's important to remind people that, I mean, I know it's cliche to say, oh, it's not the destination. It's 
What? Oh, whatever the word is. I, we gotta find yeah. other words for it, because every time I say that, I feel like some hippie dippy, like... <laughs> yeah. Well, you do live in Bozeman. So. Yeah, I know, I'm a little nutty crunchy. <laughs> I am getting a little... A little granola action going uh, on. I here. got a little bit going on over here. Yeah, but, I mean, it. it is... It's cliche, but... And then that, unfortunately, that... That makes us, you know, kind of poo-poo it a little bit and push it aside. But that's really the whole point is 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 that journey. You know, what are you doing on on that path that's leading you somewhere? Not and 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 acknowledging that the process is the part that leads you there, not just getting there, not not just focused on the goal, but on the day to day process part. That's what leads you there. And people will say that in a stronger it's the pose or something like that. But what I see more is that the destination is wanting to get it right. They are so hard on themselves, whatever it is. It's not, you know, it, I mean, I don't, I, maybe the people that I'm around aren't very ego driven and I don't, I don't see, but I see a lot of, I need to get it right. So hard on themselves, you know, like as if there's one right anyway or like you'll ever get it right or that you're even that far away <laughs> from right do you know what I mean yeah yeah really zaps the joy yeah I think it's a I think it's partly cultural I think it's partly a western thing um, I mean I I did it I'm, I still do it at times you know it's about you know wanting to get something right as opposed to just letting it be what it is and of course, once you say right, then there's a wrong and it's, it's the whole like dual non-dual yes. thing as well. Just, you know, to throw that out there, but you know, yeah, I don't know that anybody knows exactly what the right way is. Everybody wants to believe that they know what the right way is, you know, and it's, it's a slippery slope too, because you have to, you have to put effort in, in a way that is leading you somewhere. In, in that sense, it is right. But as you said, there's more than one of those sort of ways to get there. So it's tricky because you don't want to say, oh, well, there's no right or wrong. So nothing matters because then that's not true either. It does matter. It does matter. That's why I go, I, uh... I usually go with the, like the universal, Versus the relative, you know, in a, on a universal scale, no, none of it matters. It's true. On a relative scale, what you do within that process does matter. But then that gets broken down even more. Like, does the posture matter? How many postures do you need? What is the What are the postures teaching you anyway? You know, and then you go back and forth through this whole thing, and you find some middle ground. It's like, okay, the postures are teaching me any any number of things at this moment. And those are part of the process that's leading me down the path of what we call yoga, which is different than asana itself, but but they're connected. They're, they are, because it, it is through the asana that I feel like I've been able to start exploring, you know, a sense of softness. And maybe that's what I'm even talking about, the right or wrong. It, to me, there was always a hard edge, you know, like, this is the way you do it, Um and then there was a way not to do it. <laughs> and even though I think when I would talk to other people, like if I was talking to someone else, I would never express it that way. But when it came to me, I absolutely express it that way. Right. It really is hard. There's some belief systems of right and wrong that are pretty ingrained 
in me and probably not, you know, not just asana, but it gets very hard for me to soften those lines a little and, you know, allow some breathing room. Right. I mean, that's so in asana, that really is what I've been working on is not trying to hold some hard lines and, and execute, um, shapes, moves, whatever, but to find some softness in it so we can breathe, so we can, so we can be what it is, what my body, even naturally, my body's different than another person's body. And so the way I inhabit a shape might be different, but in my mind, I have a picture of it. And if my body doesn't do that, it's wrong. And I'm not alone because I watch it all the time. Everybody does it to one degree or another. It's, um, yeah, that's a, that's a common, a common problem. I don't know. It's, it's not even a problem. Again, it's, it's just part of a process. Like, in a dual relative system, it's like you've got to know one thing to know to, to understand the other. So if you don't go through that, maybe there's no way to know what it's like to not do that. You know, either either that's a short process or a long process or one that never ends or, you know. And again, it's like we can talk about it very loosely, but that's also a slippery slope. That, that being... Um, Practice and not, you know, you know, leaving the edges very blurry and stuff is can be a slippery slope as well. You know, that falls into, uh, you know, because you never know objectively, am I being lazy today? Or am I really honoring what's going on? And this is the tricky part, you know, especially when you're out there on your own. You know, if, for people who don't have a teacher, you know, close by. Especially or, when you're out there on your own. Right. And so, you know, that's the whole idea of having an objective observer who who looks at you and watches you and understands you enough to know when you're being lazy or when you need a little nudge or when you need to be pulled back, you know. And the practice itself is structured. Yeah. In oh, a way yeah. Exactly. To, to provide some of the, yeah. that With, for you. I mean, I would say, you know, there's there's the boundaries are loose within a confined sort of structure. It's kind of both. You know, I as I usually say, uh, you know, Patabi Joyce and, and Sherrod, they, they don't really get that particular about alignment. I think they just kind of trust your body to do it the way it's going to do it. You approximate a shape. And that's kind of it. Because that's you expressing them. It's not, you know, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with other styles or other alignments or whatever, but as you were saying, it's, it's like you get those stories in your head and then you believe them to be true. And then the next thing you know, you're, uh, you're judging yourself based on that. It is the slippery slope. I mean, it is what you're saying. You can go too far in any one direction and and you can take any one concept and go too far with it. Absolutely. You can get very rigid, you know, it, it, yes, the, the system provides a wonderful method and system that has, you know, some boundaries within it and some mapping and sure. Or, and you can stay super rigid to that. Right. Of course people do all the time. (laughs) You know, it's like either this or I'm not doing it right, you know, and then, and then it's all lost, you know, or I'm a bad yogi or whatever, whatever the other stuff that comes up for all of us is, you know, all of our judgments of ourselves. And then you could go the other way. Yeah, I mean, anything goes. 
And yeah, anything goes <laughs> is, you know, I like, I like orderliness and I like structure and organization. <laughs> yes, you do. But, you know, it, in a way it's like, you know, it's like the anatomy. I know that it's broken down into parts and pieces and all of that. Right. I get that. This is always my, has been my story. It's like, it's broken down into parts and pieces, but the truth is it's not. But you can look at it from that perspective if you want to. And so you, you, you're all, I mean, really, we're always aiming for that middle path. It's like, yes, it is a bone by itself if you make it that. And yes, it's intimately tied together with the tissues that surround it and the joints on either end and whatever. Just like the postures, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Like a posture lives by itself, but it's also interconnected with a whole bunch of other postures. It's both. Or, or the parts of the posture, even. I mean, you can keep going. You can keep going. So you're always looking for that middle way of, okay, I'm going to push. I'm going to put some energy into this. But I'm also going to try to relax a little bit and not be too hard on myself. And maybe that goes back to the expansiveness. The, looking at something in a bigger way. You can see right. the parts. You can see the pieces. But you also see this bigger picture that's so beautiful, right? You can, we can be like in Yellowstone looking down and right at the top of the Canyon and looking at the river and we're, we're in this small part of it and, and experiencing that. And yet at the same time can see this big, beautiful picture out there. And I think maybe that that's, what's opened up even more for me here and on my map. Yeah. I think I, that's what I usually refer to as like context. Like I'm really big on reminding people of the bigger picture, the context in, within which all of this is sort of happening. Cause it's easily forgotten because you get embedded into those details, you know, it's yoga, it's, it's the embedded nature of it's, it's what we do as humans. We get caught up believing our thoughts and thinking that they're us or thinking that they're all true or whatever it is. And then you lose that bigger picture. And that bigger picture is the expansiveness of, of awareness, actually. And <laughs> no, yeah, we're so going there. Uh, so I was just going to tell you, when you started talking about tissues and bones and all of that, that's the first time this week <laughs> that you have talked about that, which is super funny because I've spent so much time with you and not that you actually, the truth is, I'm going to say this right out loud. I have observed you in the Mysore room. I have practiced with you. Um, I've known you for a lot of years and the only time you really talk anatomy is when I ask you to. It's either when I ask you questions that are specific, like I want you to put names to things that I'm feeling. <laughs> Which is always fun. Because it's all about me. And or if or I'll watch you in the yoga room and the only time you ever talk about it is if someone's hurt. If someone's feeling hurt, you almost switch. You become like from yoga teacher to doctor yoga teacher and, uh, and you use different and you, you just become very different in that moment. I've watched you numerous times, but on the whole, you never actually talk. No, I don't talk anatomically at all. No, because it's about an experience that encom it encompasses all of that, but 
there's no there's no use in using language that is so specific that 80% of the people who hear it wouldn't know what I meant or or the other thing is that when you use that kind of language it switches everybody into sort of more left brain thinking and then that, then you're you know you're in lost in the thought aspect of things and not not in that bigger picture experience of it and so you know, to me, you know, when somebody gets injured, it's more of like a cautionary thing. Like, okay, let's, let's stop for a moment and let's do think about this and let's use our, our thoughts in a positive way. Right. Um, in the sense that, um, we're going to understand this enough so that we know what to do and we, and we, and we start looking for an experience that doesn't include that pain. Right. So yeah, there's no reason to talk anatomy if it's not necessary. No, the cue, the cue, a huge, and I'm going to go back to that, but you give cues because I want to, I want to actually, anybody that hasn't been in the room with you, some of the things you say are wonderful. Uh, I'm not talking about, not the jokes, not the jokes, but the jokes are funny. You are funny. You do use humor as a way to diffuse some of that, uh, overworking that we do. Oh Yeah a way to lighten up. And that's what you bring in there. A certain chill, take it easy. I mean, you, it's not that, oh, I see, I see this and it almost sounds like the anything goes, the slippery slope, but it, that's not what it is. But you do have a way of diffusing some of that overworking, that over-efforting, that over-thoughtfulness and thinking. And one of the things you said, which really resonated with me so much so that I can't recall the exact words. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been profound. It was really profound. But basically it was use as little effort. With, oh, oh, oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Okay, good. Uh, use as much effort as necessary and as little as possible. Use as much effort as necessary and as little as possible. Yeah. I want to actually put that somewhere <laughs> that's my quote you can't use my I'll quote. attribute it I give credit All right. <laughs> but, but that seemed to be the theme to I, me I, it, it, it is it's definitely one of my themes because well in one way you could look at it as laziness <laughs> but it's not it's, it's really about efficiency I was going to say it's, it's always been about efficiency but um, it can slip into laziness if you're not careful. So, um, but I'm I'm interested in being efficient. I don't I don't see any reason to expend more energy than I need to, or put more attention to something than is needed, or talk about things that are unnecessary to talk about, or whatever it is. I mean, I, I'd like to. I, in my mind, everybody wants to be more efficient with their time, with their energy, with their practice, with all of it. Because otherwise, what are you doing? You're wasting energy. And the whole practice is about cultivating energy and using it, and, you know, in a sense, manipulating it to, to do something with it. So if you're wasting it, then what's the point? And we don't realize how much energy we waste mm-hmm. when we overthink things, when we... Um, when we put 150% effort into places that don't need it in that moment. Right. That's the thing is there's always going to be something that does need 100% effort. And if 
If you don't relax enough, you don't know where that is. Because as you were saying before, you know, the stories that we have about how a posture is and what's right and what's wrong, which is just something that's totally made up by somebody. You know, at some point, somebody made it up. Um, and then we all go looking for it. And then we have an experience of it. But then if our experience doesn't match up perfectly with some other person who had a different body and a different life and a, maybe even a different culture, then all of a sudden we think we're doing it wrong. But actually, we're probably just having our own experience. I'm going to give an exact, because it's easy for us to talk in theoretical ideas and concepts, sure. but I'm going to give a very specific two. And I, one I posted the other day on Instagram and that was Bakasana. And I used to never want to post a picture of my Bakasana because it didn't have the perfect dome. It didn't have the dome. Oh, uh, the dome. The dome. Missing. I didn't have the dome, yeah. and I would try it's to get the dome. It's a good thing you dome. didn't post the, the non-dome. Oh, I did. I whatever, just, right? Whatever that is. Whatever that is. I don't know what that means. Whatever it is, it just, to me, it didn't have the right dome. And the other one I struggled with for a while and actually only changed it when my shoulders were really hurting. And for whatever reason... My body doesn't seem to like to go really straight in a pinch of my arasana. Isn't that interesting? Like, it doesn't want a dome a lot in Bakasana, right. and it doesn't want to go perfectly straight. And doing it perfectly straight and working and efforting, 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 really lengthening my leg, really pointing my toe, really working that line was breaking down my shoulders. Very possibly there's some other misalignment somewhere else that's like causing all of that. Right. But me efforting to make that despite whatever else is going on was hurting my shoulders. And, you know, it was, it was frustrating and it was, it was causing me, you know, physical exhaustion and mental exhaustion. I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to beat yourself up. Why can't I do this? Why can't I? Right. Everybody shows you, well, do it like this and do it like that. And, and still it's, it's not there. When I, as I, this past year, as I really started to kind of just let my, me be me, let me be me. I know what a, what a weird concept in yoga. Let me be me and start to experience the posture as, as I do. Well, I don't really take pictures of it because I know that that actually hurts me. I don't, I, I don't, I don't take pictures of it because I don't want to know. What are your Instagram followers going to say to that? I know there's none on there. There's that. You won't find Pinchamayarasana in, in my Instagram pictures um, from the past year because I don't want to take a picture of it, but just allowing myself to have the experience of the posture, the way my body experiences it. There's been no pain. I can breathe. I can balance. And there's, it's fine. And it's, Lovely. In fact, I don't, I'm not exhausted right. after trying it a million times. Right. So I don't know what it's supposed to be or what it's not, but I watched you in the room work with people and I hadn't really discussed it with you because I've learned not, I don't ask any more anatomical <laughs> questions. Like I was just like letting myself have the experience of it. And I watched you take a student and allow her, she was having the same kind of, I could see the same kind of, the same kind of like confusion and are like told to do it this way, 
but her body was a little different and wasn't making that. And it was creating a lot of effort, a lot of energy. It was an energy suck. And it, it can be kind of frustrating. Yeah. And when you allowed her to go into it the way her body does, there was this ease and this comfort. And it was really nice. Yeah. It, 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 she, it was a really nice experience. Let's just put it in the terms that I want to put it in. Right. I'm not, no, I have nobody, no pictures were right taken. Anyway. Not right or wrong. But her experience with the posture, when you allowed her to be her, she, there was a, an exhale, a, a yeah, this was nice. There was a, and there was a, a comfort that carried on into the practice as she, as you close, right? Like there was this, it, it continued on that way. It's a powerful message. It is. It is. Uh, and, and from the teaching perspective as well, you know, it's, can you really see who the student needs to be or wants to be or is and not who you think they're supposed to be or how they're supposed to be? And it's, it's so hard to, you talked about it actually this week, you know, our, our bias. That's how I, how I say it. Yes. We come with a bias, you know, how we believe it's supposed to be based on our experience, based on how our body works right. and all of that. And, and I mean, that's a reasonable starting place. There's totally nothing wrong with it. For me, I think the it's where the intersection of anatomy has, has been so helpful because uh, I know so much about anatomy that I realize that there's so many unknowns or or you could say there's so many variations that nobody's the same. I mean, we're, we're pretty much the same, but functionally, we're different depending on body type and height and all of this kind of stuff. And so it's given me a little bit more objectivity to see somebody like you're talking about and go, yeah, that doesn't look like it's working in your body. Let's try it. Let's just go in the opposite direction and see what happens. Cause then you get the perspective of trying to do it in a particular way and trying to do it in the opposite way. And maybe there's a middle to be found there. Once again, back to the right, middle. Right. Um, or, or you just realize, you know, that, that the opposite is actually works. I find that, happens a lot actually I tell people to do things the opposite of, of how they are trying to do it and all of a sudden something happens that enlightens them in some way right they have some kind of realization because they've been so rigidly going in some direction that they forgot that there's a whole landscape of other directions that you could potentially go in and it, I think it opens up some sense of possibility and they're not big things they're not they're not big it's things. not like oh no you do down dog on um just one hand now you know it's not <laughs> like know. it's not like that but it's like maybe turning your hands out or it's letting your back be more of a back bend for a moment let's see you know there's so many reasons why it could work at that moment and it might and and then to have the um the sense that okay well this is what's going to work now but maybe the next time i see this student in six months She's learned what she's learned from going in this direction and she can start to bring it back to that line. I mean, that's, I have to hold that as a possibility. I, I just, I don't know. And that is exactly, that's the part of the process that I think we undervalue because we think it's wrong. Letting us be who we are in that moment, in, in that pose and this day mm-hmm. 
is the process and it's not a wrong place. We all change, you know, as time goes on. Of course. And I think I've changed. I mean, over the course of time. You've changed a lot. <laughs> I think I have. I mean, you're talking about relaxing in your practice. So that's, that's pretty big. It is pretty big. Because you tried really hard for sometime. I did try really hard. And I, and I hate and you learned something from that. I, it's not to be judged. Well, it's the opposite thing that you just said. Yeah. You said sometimes when you go into the opposite direction, there's a learning that occurs that's right. even more profound because you've been in one place and you right. explore the other. I don't think that I could speak to this softness if there wasn't. <laughs> oh, that's why I could speak to it because I've done the pushing. I've done the, you know, seeking and post-seeking and all of that as well. Because I thought it was going to take me somewhere. But then I got there wherever at some point along that path. And it's like, is this really making me a better person? Is this, is, is this really the direction I thought yoga was taking me? Is this why I signed up for this? This is why I signed up for this. Yeah. And actually, no, that's not quite why. Good lessons learned and all of that. And and certainly, um, yeah, really important understandings of who I am and all of that reflection on the mat and all that still happened. That part was fine. But the, the seeking and the, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, the ambition. I'm not ambitious in my practice. I don't need to add any more postures. I don't care. It's not at all what I care about in my own practice. It's just, there's, I, I, you know, I've, I've dug that hole. I, I know, I know what's in there and it's good, but I don't need to keep digging just to make my nails bloody. It's like, just, just okay, I've dug a hole that's deep enough. Rest into that. And now let's do something else. You know, let's do, let's move on. You know, there's more and it's not, it, it's not in a direction that leads to more postures. It's the deepening of the experience of doing what you can do it with sun salutation. Everybody says that this is almost cliche too. All you need is sun salutations. Well, that's true. I, you, you might not even need that. You might just need to relax into your body. You know, how far how far down that slope do you Oh, I was like, you, know? you are now in trouble. That's now a slippery trouble. slope. Everybody stop practicing awesome. Everybody right stop now. practicing. Go for a hike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not what I'm saying. No, it, it's not because there's, I think whatever it is that, it is, we keep using the word experience, right? We're trying to experience ourselves. And we have a lot of outside ways to bring that experience in. Mm-hmm. We have teachers too. We have the mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. We have Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then don't forget YouTube. And YouTube. Um, I, I, I found that for me, I just spent a lot of time outside trying to dictate the inside. Like I was definitely an outside in kind of gal. Right. Like I definitely was, you know, I mean, we're wrestling. Like I wanted to do it Right. Your mind was the right thing. I'm, I'm letting go of letting my experience be what it is. Right, and there is no right or wrong. Kind of dropping that kind, that kind of thinking. If it hurts, that's different. When I have pain, I figure there's something that's not right. 
It's something you should probably look yeah. at and change. Yeah, and I don't have pain. I mean, that that's the, the crazy thing is when I was trying to get everything right, <laughs> I had pain. And yeah. when I stopped trying to get everything right, I don't have pain. I have a lot of joy. I really do love, I love practicing. So I wouldn't give up. I'm not giving up my asana practice. Right. I actually really enjoy my asana practice. I enjoy exploring in every sense of the word, exploring myself through the practice, through what we've been given. And if I get to the fork in the road and I'm going to, you know, and that waterfall's right. there and I have the energy, I'll keep going. Right on. Um, And if this is enough, that's enough. You've taken a shift, though, in... I have to bring it up. I have to bring it up. First of all, some of the stuff that you did in the room, the breathing exercises in the beginning to get centered, were structured and yet so expansive. I mean, that you want to talk about using a structure to bring about expansiveness. Boy, did... You do that. And I'm not going to, I'm not even going to let you kind of walk through that, but the way you centered everyone in the beginning using the breath and account was profound. And every student said so. Thanks. I know there's nothing else to say. I mean, but there's, there's this element and then the workshop, which is really funny because we were talking about, we, we talked about functional anatomy, right? That's the book. Right. 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 Um, and that's kind of what you're, you're known for. And then you talked about awareness in a way that was anatomical. <laughs> you, know, you call it anatomy of awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it's a way of talking about it functionally as well. You know, breaking it down. That's the anatomy aspect of it, I guess. Um, and, and it's something that I'm exploring right now. So, you know, the more I talk about it and kind of wrap my head around it, um, it deepens my understanding and experience mm-hmm. of it. So um, I'm kind of trying to talk about it more so that, um, so I clarify it for myself. It's definitely what happened with the anatomy. So um, why not, why not take it into the next sort of iteration of, you know, that David Kyle story anyway, cause I'm, you know, I'm in a process you know, practice of change. So, um, this is, this seems to be the next step and I, you know, I don't know exactly where it's going. I just, it feels like the right direction to be going. So I'm going there, I'm following it, seeing what happens. Um, it felt good. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, and and it's all based on, um, everything I've learned from my meditation teacher who you've had on the podcast, John Churchill. John Churchill. And, and his teacher, Dan Brown, and doing meditation, it, it comes from there. It's not like something I made up. Um, but of course, you make it your own, and, and then you relate it back to prior experiences. So for me, it's always, I spent so much time practicing Ashtanga that there's no way not to reflect back into the practice. And, and really, the thing is, is, is the realization that there's those, all of the techniques that we use in the practice if you're paying attention to them 
are so preparatory for doing other stuff. And we all kind of know that. We're all like, we all know that, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you want to open your body so you can sit in lotus. Why do you want to sit in lotus? To meditate. But then you get stuck in the asana so long that, you know, you never find your meditation teacher or, you, you know, you never take it on as a formal practice because you think you can't stop doing asana. Well, because we think of meditation as a graduation from something instead of an integration with something. Does that make sense? I, yeah. It, and, and to tie it into the other things we were talking about, it's very easy to go, well, I'm not really good, good enough in the asana because I'm not really getting them right yet because I haven't finished what? Fourth series? Fifth series? <laughs> Sixth series? <laughs> right? Another never-ending thing. So anyway, it's, you know, those judgments usually stop us from doing Explore. that integration and exploring, you know, something like meditation. So that's what I really like that you brought in and you brought in the elements of breathing and mindfulness and tied them into the practice as we know it. So when you talked about the anatomy of awareness, you did use as a reference point, a lot of the things that we're doing within okay. our practice and with the breathing techniques that you brought in in the, in the beginning, again, very useful within the practice. You integrated those concepts really nicely. And I know you're still forming ideas around it, but I, and I want, I want you to keep forming ideas around <laughs> it because I think this is going so, somewhere really beautiful. But you brought it in a way that could be functional within the system that we know. That's just my nature. Love. So I cannot do that. It's got to be useful. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. I got to feel like I got to feel like it, that, like that feedback comes back. Like when I've got to have that experience myself and then see if it lands that way with other people. Because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pretty functional. It's that efficiency. It's like I don't want to I don't want to use extra words. I don't want to say a bunch of stuff that that either confuses people or just kind of, in a sense, waste time. Not on purpose, of course. It's like, I want to be like really clear and focused and specific and, and create a particular experience, which isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen all the time, but, but yeah, it, to me, it's all tied together. That goes back to the context thing. Like how do all of these parts fit together? How do I create a particular experience in the Mysore room, in the instruction, in the workshop that, that, that kind of helps people understand the big picture and at the same time dive into the nuanced components that make up that big picture. Which you're doing again. <laughs> In another, like, subject change. <laughs> no, this is all great because it does. It leads right into the next piece. And I originally thought we would sit down and do a podcast kind of about it, but... What are you talking about? The research that oh, the you're research. doing, the re it's huge. And so I thought we were going to do something around that. Like that was my original idea, but obviously it's taking me, oh, I don't know, 40 minutes to get there, Yeah. which all this kind of leads up though to the way your brain thinks, which I love. And <laughs> I do. I do. I really, you know, before I get into the research part, I'm going to say this out loud. You've always been. You are my first teacher in a Mysore room. You are the one who did right, absolutely right, get right. me hooked. You always have to bring this up. I know. I do. But really, I look to you 
um, as a, as a teacher or mentor, like the way I want to teach, the way I want to be for others is the way you are for others, the way you were for me and are for me and the way I see you work with other people. There is a real specialness to it. You do look at everybody as an individual. You do bring in that sense of awareness and efficiency even, right? Yes. As you know, I organize my weeks in my mind in some way. Oh my God, he gave me a program. He's helping me organize. Um, It's a lost cause, but I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) I am going to try. You come up with your own. Yeah. And that that you allow people the space to find themselves. You are both in the forefront and in the background, and you're willing to be either depending on what the moment calls for. In the forefront, when somebody's hurting, they need something, you're there, you're, you're, and then when they're ready to have their experience, you, you back away. It's this really nice balance of knowing when to step in and being able to step away, letting the individual have their experience in whatever way that is, but also being able to technically come in and organize information and look at, and it's, it's a very, it, it, there's a lot of breathing room in that. And yet there's a lot of direction. So all the things we're talking about that expansiveness, but yeah, it's, you do kind of live that in a way and teach that way. And I've always, I've always looked to you, um, for, guidance I guess or I we're so different in personality yeah it, but that but <laughs> and for, that's fine but, and that's fine and that's what makes it fine like yeah. you're okay like you don't have to, I don't have to be you nor should you nor should I but I can look at the qualities that you bring and I I really do try to learn from those well, I, you know, it, it's kind of like, do you remember uh, when Shra was in Miami during the conference and he talked about Guruji? Yes. And he was talking about, don't do what your teacher does. Yes. Just follow that direction, you know, and see where they're going to, you know, and find your way there. It was something along those lines. You know, he said, I can't be my grandfather. No. I'm not my grandfather, but I'm following in that way. And that was pretty profound. I did take that away because that was, that was pretty big because I think sometimes we're like, if I admire this, I have to be like that person. They'll start to talk like that and, and, and kind of lose themselves in. I mean, I think there's value in, um, in that kind of modeling, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's, when it's done well, meaning, you know, you know, Guruji sets this model of, whateverness, however you see that, because you're obviously seeing that in a biased way and through your own filters and all of that. But whatever those positive qualities are that you see in that teacher, that it makes sense to adopt that first and go, okay, because I did that with John. It would be like, okay, I wonder what John would do in this situation. WWDD, what would David do? Except for mine, it was was JD. It was what John do. Um, and, And I think that was beneficial. You know, it... It has to be dropped at some point because otherwise you do lose yourself and then you don't know who you are within the scheme of the whole thing. But Or you only know that person within your experience of that person. So if your teacher too. has taught you this way, you taught me something. Right. And if I lose context, then I only teach the way you taught me. Right. Me, in my body. Not, not the way you taught. Not the way the you way taught, you, but the way, the way you, you taught. taught me. 
Yeah. Yeah. Big difference. A very big difference. I think that's why watching you has always been really cool to, to watch you in the room in context with everyone and why those, a lot of realizations that come for, for me personally come from watching you, not with me, but right. with others. It's a different perspective. Yeah. It's a different perspective. So that being said, okay. it is that exploration part of you. It is that, that, that curiosity seeking piece of you, the <laughs> one that looks for exceptions, that doesn't hold on to ultimatums, that, right. that is always interested, always growing, always digging. You came up with a research project, a pretty damn big one. Yeah. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. I, there's no way. If it, if it, so talk about that because it's big. Well, I mean, it started, you know, it actually started a few years ago. That's when the seed was planted. And it was around the time where um, all of the conversation around injuries and yoga was happening and there was a big hubbub. And basically I was just, you know, as somebody who's dealt with a lot of people's injuries and forget it, even in the yoga world. I mean, I have dealt with them there, but outside, mm-hmm. prior to that, as a therapist who dealt specifically in chronic pain problems, that's all I ever did. So everybody who came to me was in pain, had injury. And you, what you start to learn from that experience is that there's a context. There's pre-existing conditions that have influenced it. There's, I mean, there's just so many possibilities. I mean, at some point it doesn't matter. You just kind of, you fix what's in front of you anyway. Um, but it is, but many times it was helpful to understand how they got there. And for them, just as much as me, them to understand how they got there. Totally. Yeah. So I was pretty upset to be quite honest because there were examples of injuries in yoga that were being paraded around without any context and left the feeling as if these things happen on a regular basis or the potential for them to happen is like just a moment away. And it was just such bullshit. So I'm just going to say one thing as someone who has like some stats training, right? You know, subjectivity in making causal relationships. Yeah. You, if you don't limit variables, look at all these things that you're talking about, you, you can easily create causal relationships in a statement that oh, isn't yeah. true yeah. because if, so you can say it because it looks like it. But then when you actually do any research or if you limited variables or, or looked at at least all of them, right. you can then really see. And that's why stats is so important, you know, because it makes you look at those things. But if I write a blog, I don't have to look at those things. Just like certain political candidates don't have to look at facts. They right. can say whatever. Believe me, a lot of people like, you know, yeah, believe yeah, me, yeah. a lot of people. And you start saying it over and over again. And people believe that stuff without looking at the facts. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That and, was my and, little, your little rant. My so little rant. Good. It's true too. I mean, um, it, you know, it really, because of the way I had to approach people in pain, I had to be really objective and I had to listen to what they said. I had a choice to believe it or not believe it. 
because I was going to be, and you know, it started with like soap form, subjective, objective, you know, assessment and, you know, what protocol was used. And what you start to realize is sometimes the story that the person tells about their injury is true. And sometimes it's not. And the tissue itself, when you get really good at working with tissues, the tissues talk to you, not like they say, Hey David, this is what I really want. (laughs) But in a way it's like you feel tension or you feel softness or whatever it is. And at this point, like, I don't even know what it is. It's a knowing, you know, it's, it's on a level that you don't, you don't, don't think about it so much. Even if I start exactly. I mean, I can think I can, I'll start with thoughts like, okay, that sounds something like maybe it's rotator cuff or whatever, whatever. But let's see what happens when I get there. That, that sense of openness. So anyway, um, people were bringing a lot of their personal bias to it and potentially, you know, it started with the, with the article about the William Broad book. Um, Oh, that's right. What was it? Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the title of it, you know? Oh my God. I can't think of it. Everybody knows what we're talking about. about. If you don't Um, Google it, which it it just triggered a whole, you know, like it was like, it was like a volcanic eruption in the overworld. Um, and, Whoever wrote that article, you know, did a great job of creating that volcanic eruption. That's what they intended to do. Now, personally, I read the book. The book is good. It's got good facts in it, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, And it's much more balanced. But anyway, the conversation started there, bled out, and other things were then being, you know, talked about. It's like... So much personal bias in that, right? So much personal bias. You know, basic, I mean, it was Matthew Remsky. That's it. Matthew pushed this whole idea that people are really getting injured in yoga in a really horrible way. And, you know, he gave some examples. Um, and those examples were pretty bad and horrible. But they weren't happening to everybody. And they weren't happening on a regular basis. And And this was kind of the impetus for... It's like, well, what is happening? It's not necessarily a direct response to Matthew Remsky, but it's kind of like, it made me think like, you know, these people are not using any sense of context around this stuff. It's like, you want to, you know, hold somebody up who blew out their knee in Varasana, but you want to leave out the fact that they sat in Varasana for four hours without moving. Why would you leave that out? Don't you think that's important? Things like that. Those kinds of examples. It's like, you know, it's just, it, 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 may, it, it makes more sense when you look at it that way. Like, yeah, well, uh, that sounds a little more reasonable. Who's doing Varasana for four hours on a regular basis in the modern yoga world? Nobody. I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone either. <laughs> so, was it Varasana that did it? Was it the four hours? You know, I don't know. Was it the tension in that person? I don't know. Were they a regular practitioner? I don't know. There's a million other questions you would want to ask somebody who had that happen to them. So I created the survey, basically. And the whole idea of the survey is to get this context, including age, um, location. Like, in my mind, I could see, well, is it true that if you're in a colder climate, you're 
more likely to get injured or less likely to get injured. Like we might make assumptions about that. Like when it's cold, my body's tight, you know, uh, but we might find out that people in cold climates are less likely to get injured because they're more cautious or, or for whatever reason. The causation is always going to be The causation is always going to be, but even knowing the, even having some of the information yeah. is, is... It's like, I mean, from from the survey, it's like, and it's not all about injury, although, it, to be honest with you, it's really biased towards injury. It's about five to one in terms of questions. Based on the fact that it came out of wanting to understand injury, but we did include, you know, stuff about positive outcome, which is harder to measure. And, you know, the whole thing is self-reporting anyway. So it's taken so with a grain of salt. So there's that subjectivity already. Exactly. So you take it with a grain of salt anyway. But the whole point is, is that when you have one this many questions, some of them with overlap, and... Um, in such a wide range, it's a it's a correlation survey. It's not really a causative survey. We're not we're not gonna we're never gonna say this is the reason why these people are getting injured. But we might say something like, well, people who practice this style are five times more likely to get injured or five times less likely to get injured than people who practice this style or this style. That's just that's just measuring the what it what it is. It doesn't show the cause. It doesn't say because they practice this. No. But it does show places where you can look further, where you could then create further research into exactly. those areas. And I have to I have to say, our aim was the minimum that we needed was like four hundred surveys, and and that's. So which, blew my, which blew my mind, yeah. by the way. So there's numbers that are set. Because it's not just you creating these questions or creating no, a survey. I, personally, I, I came up with the majority of questions to start off with. Uh-huh. But then, yeah, I have some friends in, in, who are really much more intelligent than me. Who are, sci- who are scientists. Who are scientists. Uh, let's put this out who there. Are who are actual scientists. I, I, I'm not a scientist, a, a but... Doc, a do- <laughs> which includes a double doctor and a doctor and another doctor, a PhD, PhD, okay. PhD, and... MD and PhD and people who've done this in the academic world and know about writing surveys and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's like they checked everything. I, I just want to say this out loud because that alone would always stop me from ever doing any kind of real research. And that's how I knew there's so much that has to be looked at. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't just make assumptions. You don't just write a question. No. It can easily, you can easily bias a question and you easily. can easily bias an answer and, and it can get overlooked very easily. So, I mean, we poured through it. It's, it's taken me three years to get it to launch. Right. Right. We spent a lot of time. It's a lot of questions. It's a big survey. And going back to that 400 number, based on the worldwide population of people who practice from a scientific perspective... To make it valid. To make it valid, the minimum was something around 400. It was a little bit more than that, but not by... Right. Not more than By statistical reasoning, it exactly. only needed 400 to right. be considered valid. Right. And then you could say, well, the ideal would really be 400 answers to each question. So then there's a point where you hit a maximum number that you need to get that 400 answers to each individual question. So that number seemed to be somewhere around the 2,500 mark. So at this point, I actually haven't looked this week because we've been so busy. And I've pushed the survey out a couple of times. And I have to say, um, we're really close to 2,500. We're like 24 something something. 
Um, so it's just hanging there, you know, every now and again, another survey response comes in, which is fine. We'll leave it up there until it takes 2,500. Like, you know, I got a little thing on the, on the website for people to click on and take it. Um, but what interested me the most, and I can see the forms cause this is all happening on my server on my website. And so I, I pick a couple of the questions in the survey that I thought, that I really wanted to see in real time that were kind of coming in. I, you get an abbreviated version of it. One of which was, you know, we allowed people to either give their information anonymously or click a box and then be part of a long-term survey. And the, the people who clicked on the box for the long-term survey, was like 85%, which is wow. huge. Which, and so that I'm jumping off into this because you brought up where you can take this data and you can break it down even more. So now you have, you can group people based on their style of practice and get more nuanced in questioning. I mean, there's a million ways to go with it. So David, no, I don't think and anybody's ever done this. I, I don't think so. And not on it, this scale. It, on this scale. I mean, this is a big this survey. Is big. It's, it, it was at minimum a, probably a 15 minute survey. And if you, had multiple injuries or you really dug into stuff, it could take you 20, 25 minutes. And everybody who I know who's a scientist, they're like, oh yeah, how many survey responses did you get? I'm like, well, I just sent out my newsletter and we're up to a thousand. They're like, what? I know. They freak out because it's kind of unheard of to get those kind of, it's hard to get people. I mean, and, and it's really, um, it's really great that I've gotten to this stage of my, of my yoga career, so to speak, that I can hit a button and I can send it out to my newsletter and it's like, like a flood. But you know why? Because we trust you because you have been known. You are a trustworthy person. Yeah. Like when we talk about, I mean, Matthew Remsky, I'm going to give him credit here by raising questions the way he did oh, yeah. in the way he did it, did bring awareness, did bring Absolutely. attention to things absolutely uh, e- even in the way that says whoa this almost looks like an agenda this is so subjective and almost like pushing an agenda which it looked like to me it looked um, pretty biased to it me looked as well. pretty biased. but the question the base question the base, itself but is totally raising it and bringing it in sometimes yeah. somebody i guess has to light a fire and so yeah. that you know other people get interested but I, I don't know that i would trust i in fact i don't trust um the results that would come from right. that kind of investigative questioning that seems very subjective and cherry picking to something I to you know the source you want to look at someone who looks very sure. objective but also interested right. somebody that who can take an expansive view but also <laughs> be, will be able exactly. to look at the individual cases and that's a very unique way um, those are two very different kinds of skills i think we talk about different sets of the brain right. they're different sets of the brain in some ways i think yeah um I know. but you are a trusted source and therefore and yeah. it's over these years and so by putting that out i think like i look at a survey that you're going to put out hell yeah i'm going to answer it hell yeah i'm going to give you information and yeah i want to be a part of the long-term yeah. Yeah. research there, i mean i think the uh, the original thing you were talking about there was nobody's done this before um if they have nobody's really heard about the outcome of that survey. There are, and actually as a result of putting out this survey, a couple of other ones popped up like people like, Hey, have you seen this? Or have you seen oh, okay. this? Yeah. Um, I don't think they're, 
the sort of general aim of it was a little bit different. Good. Um, because, you know, mostly you don't get regular people doing surveys like this. Mm-hmm. It would be in the academic world. Yeah. That somebody would be trying to pull this data together for a PhD or yeah, for yeah, some yeah. paper or for something like that. Why would a private citizen be so interested and do this? It just doesn't happen that often. And I think... <laughs> just, I just realized <laughs> that this isn't even something like... This isn't a business venture. This is actually just like mm. totally interest wanting to provide or know yeah. or curiosity seeking. Totally. It, this is a pet project. It's totally a pet project. <laughs> it's it a totally huge pet project. That, that I, I mean, that I do hope, you know, broadens the conversation or makes mm. it more um, intelligent or just fact-based in some way. You know, there's always going to be more to dig into, but it seems like, um, yeah, I mean, well, and the other point is that, you know, these other things that have gone on, other researches, they, they often don't get out of the academic sphere. And so nobody reads them. So, I, I mean, you can't apply it, them. It, right. Or I mean, even no, or even no, no, even know what happens. I mean, you just don't know. So, I mean, we're definitely going to write loads of articles off the bat. So how, so how will be, we, I, I originally was going to say to you, oh, on my, on my podcast, we're going to put the links and the people <laughs> will go and fill out the survey. It'll be over by the time. It'll be over time. by the time. That's so sorry, guys. Hopefully. I mean, maybe it'll be there. Maybe. But where, so where can you follow? Like if you didn't uh, sign up or whatever, how? I mean, we're just going to put it on the website and put it out in the monthly newsletter as those articles get written. So Legal That's Anatomy. It. Yoganatomy.com, yeah. Okay. If you want to check to see if the survey is still up, you just go yoganatomy.com forward slash survey okay. slash. And I'll probably yeah. put the link in the... Put in, it there anyway. I'll put it on the website. It might be up still. So if you're listening to the podcast, go on the website and we'll make sure that we have those links available too. Yeah, it's October 1st. So if, if you're listening to this in November or December, chances are it's done. But whatever. Anyway. Oh yeah, it's October first. Sign up to the newsletter and then you'll 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 get the results anyhow. Yeah, it's already October first. The year's coming to an end. Oh wow. Yeah. And I just I have to get you on a plane soon. I don't know why I do this to people. <laughs> like I make you do the podcast right for a plane. Because uh, you and I could sit down and continue. It's to great because then I, I don't get any travel anxiety. There you go. Because I'm I'm so focused on this. I did that on purpose. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but you're coming back. Okay. Next summer. Yes. Summer 2017. Yeah. I haven't pinned him down on the dates yet. People are already asking me. We're looking at the first few weeks in August. It'll go up as soon as it's there. <laughs> and... Ah! Ah! And... Bozeman's cool. Bozeman's Montana's so cool. amazing. And we've been... It's been so yeah. cool to have you well, we there. had good weather, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it's right now. The weather is turning tomorrow. The weather is going to drop, but it has been 70s and sunny and gorgeous. And the colors out there for autumn Crazy, are week. beautiful. Holy hell. So I'm <laughs> And next year, it, I'm just I'm so happy to bring you out here and be able to share this time and learn from you. Right on. Yeah. I'll just keep doing it. You do. heard it here. That's what I do. I don't, know. I don't know what else. Well, who would I be if I weren't me? <laughs> I'm so ending it there. Please. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you guys for tuning in. And see you next time. Bye.
Thanks for tuning in today. This episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast was edited and produced by Chris Lucas of CWLucas.com and hosted by me, Peg Queen. David Kyle and I will be hosting our second Montana retreat in the beginning of August 2017, and we hope some of you can make it. But also check David's website at yogaanatomy.com to find other workshops he offers all over the world, plus his wide assortment of online anatomy courses, and of course, keep up on his research. Also, as a reminder, if you liked this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. If you know me, you also know how hard it is for me to ask for help, but that doesn't mean I don't need it. And I could use yours now. For far less than the price of a Starbucks latte, you can help us make the show better and better while getting access to some cool stuff in the process. Again, visit patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. And as always, thanks for listening.